You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Dan Mychek, I help companies connect with the best tech talent, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Joel, Josephine, David, and Kurt to discuss how does a great team culture help build a great product? So before we delve deeper into the topic, we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. So David, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Hi. So I'm David. I am working as a product engineering director at VeryShore, so it's a security company, and I'm heading development teams in two sites. Uh, and uh, work of course a lot on this topic so thank you for having me on this show with the with this important topic so i think my my key question here was more about organizational design because uh, in many companies if, whether it's a startup or a larger company you you set up the system and the structure around the teams and according to conway's law you know teams and the result of the product often represents the team structure for better or worse right so I think, uh, you know, an open question to the team here, like, how do you, do you see this uh, in, is that what you experience and how do you usually do to mitigate and manage that? Fantastic. Um, Joel, we'll move to you next. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Uh, Joel, um, been in FinTech for about 10 years. Um, currently the uh, uh, product group lead for country optimization. So looking after like 11 markets for Klarna. Um, and leading a bunch of product teams here. Um, and yeah, I guess a short uh, intro to my to my topic. I thought I would just uh, see what your guys' thoughts were on ownership. So I spend a lot of time thinking about how to scale teams and how to scale ideas. And I think one of the hardest parts of that is the mindset of teams. Um, and you know, product for any technology company, I think is really the core of the business. And so how do you how do you get ownership out of people and how do you scale yourself out of something that is um, synonymous with like the executive strategy of the company? Um, so, yeah, looking forward to, to chatting with you guys. Fantastic. Uh, Josephine, we'll come to you next. Yeah, sure. Hi, guys. My name is Josephine and I'm working currently as the chief product officer at Hire. Uh, it's uh, Hire is a a fairly new uh, brand uh, and product at the market. We're a mobile recruitment tool and it was founded 2019. Um, so what we do, we connect candidates in a more efficient way uh, to meet new behaviors. Um, and uh, I, I'm also in the uh, area of how do we scale uh, and have autonomous teams. Um, so yeah, looking forward to chatting with you guys. Fantastic. And last but not least, Kurt, we'll come to you. Oh, thank you. Um, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Kurt and I am working as a digital experience lead in Telia Norway. So which, that means that I'm working with the customer facing portals, um, the different product teams working on that. Um, one of the things that I would like to discuss and hear your thoughts about today is um, how do you manage to create this great team culture uh, in a time where a lot of the um, team members are are being in different places uh, remotely or uh, not being co-located in the same place? So um, I want to hear your thoughts on that. 
Amazing. Cheers, Kurt. So now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So as mentioned before and briefly then, you all have a question or statement on how does a great team culture help build a great product? And as usual, I'll work my way around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation as well. So we'll kick off today's podcast with David. Uh, feel free to, to jump in. Yeah, so so related to the Convey law and how teams are being set up, I think I, I clearly see, and I think this is related if it's a hardware team, a software team, or kind of backend or mix, it's very clear that, you know, the, the, the notion of what the team is and what the team is accountable for is, is very important. And I think it comes back to, to the topic of how you build a great team culture is both about how you, how you keep that ownership, because it's of course, and I think it relates to other topics here, you know, which I think is, it's super important to, to get your view on that. How do you still keep the ownership within this team, but at the same time build a product that can can kind of be designed around the teams that actually build the product? So what what's your thoughts? Uh, super, super curious to hear. Yeah, I, I can uh, jump in right away. Uh, I thought it was a very good question and I, I gave it some some thought actually. And what, uh, what, 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 it says is that if uh, team A speaks well with B, they will work well together, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But if team A speaks poorly with C, the communication will go through the whole product. And mm -hmm. uh, to bridge that, I think the best way of doing it is to implement a way of working more with uh, a service, like handling every single contact as it was a customer. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you have another type and level of urgency than you have maybe if you, it's an internal discussion. So, so implement uh, regardless of uh, of discussion uh, if it's internal or externally, but uh, focus on uh, treating it as it was a customer. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I think um, that sort of supplier-customer relationship is a really healthy way to structure how teams work together. Um, otherwise, it's not perhaps clear and it, it can devolve into politics without like a, if you don't have a sort of basis of interaction, you know, you're sort of gambling. Like it could it could go well, it could go poorly. Um, but yeah, in my experience, if you can structure teams um, with a clear problem space and then where they feel ownership over that, problem space and and then the, I guess what we're talking about kind of it's like how do you get those teams to talk to each other and how does then that get positively expressed to like how the product actually works um yeah if you have the supplier customer like if you feel ownership over your product then of course you want to take care of your customers I mean that's like the mm. the prior one I think of any product manager and that makes the like communication quite easy um, I can just say like, yeah, that's, I don't know, just in my experience, I've really enjoyed that supplier customer relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I think regardless if it's an internal or an external party, if we treat it as a customer, we have another sense of urgency uh, and create a different type of service, uh, which means that even if uh, team A normally have a, a, a poorer uh, discussion with team C, it would naturally work well if we treat it as a customer uh, service. I agree. I think that like it's very like internal, like creating those internal customers is very relevant. Yeah, that, I, I like that. I think one other thing we, we at least have been trying to do also is that there are some cases where it's really hard to build. Let's say if you have um, obvious reasons where you cannot build this kind of good team 
culture or have the joint uh, ownership, then of course you need to make sure that the the design of the product or the app or whatever it doesn't really challenge that, right? So in a way, I, I think it's very important to be thoughtful about those things because if you, for example, design an app or an experience to be built in a way that going very very much against the team structure or the communication structure, that is a recipe for failure. So it's a it's also something that even in the thought process, you can do stuff that actually mitigates this. And if you need to do an experience that goes very much against the teams, maybe that's also a way where you need to think, okay, maybe we have the wrong org structure. Maybe we, we need to rethink how we do this. And then maybe think about also virtual teams or, or something to mitigate that. Because um, otherwise you, you just go into a dream mode and then you will be disappointed at the end. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I totally agree. I just like in my experience also, uh, a lot of teams, um, are organized based on like technology um, and we see that sometimes you can be too sort of focused on your product and therefore um, creating for instance um, joint uh, goals or outcomes uh, across teams I think is also a way that you can um, start uh, incentivize communicating and working. Yeah. So David, do you sometimes structure the product around the organization? Is that kind of what you're saying? I've done that. Uh, oh, I have. We have, you know, been thoughtful about those things. And uh, I think this goes more into when you become a larger company where, or you work in a larger structure where you have like 10 plus teams where you need to get kind of, if you need to do a quick change or you need to do something that is very, let's say, um, where it's not really connected to how the team structure is, then sometimes we have actually done changes in the products to to make things easier and more natural for the teams. And my, I have really good experience about doing that because um, you know I think the, the the worst thing you can do is if you if you try to do a product that is not let's say aligned with the team missions or the the kind of the uh, the goals that that each team has, then then you work against Conway law and. At the end, you will get delays, so you get uh, products that are not uh, as good as they they could be. Uh, so yes, I, I've done I've done that and actually had good experiences with it. But you know, it's not maybe the best of the the best solution all the time. But I think it's a mitigation you can do. I think it's really interesting. I'll take that with me. I think um, we're building a you know kind of like a super app right now. And if you like, you know the the kind of classic super app structure is like one of the things that's nice about it is that there's these mini apps which yeah. if you're trying to build an org structure around products like it's very it's very clean to have mini apps where you can just build teams around those apps and they just have full autonomy and i yeah. think like we're already start we're i think like it's it's difficult because those apps can start to overlap with each other and then do you need to merge the apps and but um yeah it's it's the only example that comes to mind where i've where where like the technology has followed the people rather than vice versa. But I think that's a, definitely an interesting, interesting thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, and also the other one is it's, it's harder to change teams than actually change scope or tasks in the team. So if you need to do something quick, usually you can long term, you can move the teams, uh, which is, I think, the, the optimal way. If you at least have a strategy that kind of or a vision that goes a little bit more in the long term. But if you need to do something quick, usually it's very hard to move teams towards a product, but it's easier to change the scope for that team. So I think that's the other one that uh, I've, I've at least learned the hard way. <laughs> so um, because uh, otherwise you need to do the team buildings and all that stuff that takes a long time. What is the common vision? How do we set up the goal? And 
usually when you need to do quick turns, that's not where you want to start. Super interesting. Yeah, listen, thanks for the perspectives. Fantastic. Um, great way to kick off the podcast. So we will move to you next, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just wanted to, um, I guess, talk a little bit about ownership. Um, and yeah, it's a broad topic. I, I suspect all of you have thought about it a lot before. Um, I guess I was thinking about um, a good culture is um, when the the team is thinking in a way um, that isn't task oriented, mm-hmm. but actually trying to solve the the core customer problem and i think that sounds easy in principle so that's like perhaps obvious and i think the challenge becomes how do you give teams that autonomy when you're moving very fast um and when you're trying to yeah build quickly and iterate and also when product is um is obviously kind of the center of any technology business so um some examples like i've seen companies um break product out into like like some ways that companies try and deal with this like okay you break product out into um growth product and core product and this way you have your core product managers they're running a very stable business they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing they're optimizing they need you know like hopefully there's very little micromanagement or like oversight needed like they can just have free reign over like managing and and running making that very like smooth business and then you've got like the new bets and the new bets are generally where um you need to have very close alignment with uh you know there's two ways to do that you can have new bets where okay say you're going to build a credit card i'm just talking fintech here um well okay then you bring in somebody with uh you know 15 years of card experience and you say go crazy you know, um, build your organization, or you can have like more of a closer connection, you know, back to the board or whomever and try and like iterate with them. Um, I think uh, in there's pr- there's pros and cons to both those ways of like a uh, new bet, like new bets and and uh, and core. Um, I think one of the ways that it's worked or that I've been really happy here at Karna is like this uh, structure we have of like building small team i mean just like i guess it's nowadays sort of just like the the best practice which is like small agile teams attached to a problem space um i think the problem with that is that you have scaling problems because once you have a large organization small teams can't execute on things um that are like big enough to really like make a dent in what your strategic bets are um but i would love to hear how how you guys work with your pms or or yourself and uh, how you guys deal with ownership it's a good one i think if you look on development teams, usually I think there is this critical ownership they have to have, like the ownership of their own team backlog, the quality of their stuff, all that stuff that has to be in each team. Yeah. And then if you work in larger company, larger companies or in larger teams, then of course they need to work together with many other teams in the common vision. So I think it's, you know, at least if you, if you keep the team empowered in their individual scope, and then make sure that there is a connection to the vision. I think that is a way to do it. And as you said, you have core teams, maybe they do the base app or they make some base experience or something that is a platform. And then you can have some of these spin-offs that is maybe teams that can build on that and do some crazy things, but experiment along. But as long as their contract with the core team is well understood and they have clear accountability for what they do, I think that that, that should be fine. But I thought I think that's also important that this core team doesn't feel like they do their own stuff and you know uh, they are not uh, able to innovate on their 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 turf, right? So it's uh, it's of course all these things that we need to have uh, you know some kind of um, you know 
innovation for all, right? But at the same time, usually that that seems to work. Right? Yeah, I I can only talk from from my experience. Obviously, I'm in a much smaller company than than, than you guys sit in uh, today, but. Uh, uh, from my perspective, it's much easier for for my team to be business close, uh, which means they can actually understand the bigger bigger value that they're driving for. Mm. Uh, but uh, of course, they cannot prioritize a roadmap uh, themselves to 100%. So, so, so my point of view is like it, it gives smaller scopes, but let them act very freely because with the uh, with the that with the freeness, uh, the accountability comes and the ownership and the drive to do that little extra and uh, and push forward when it's tough or hard to get uh, get the outcome that you that you're looking for. So so put it into smaller scopes to and that's a way also to lead them to to follow the roadmap in a good way without giving the the whole hand and. Uh, and leading them in a micromanaged way. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I uh, I think you're pinpointing a really challenging thing here. Um, and for us also, or like at least in my experience, I think it's hard to balance the fact in large organizations to like let the team have the ownership and the autonomy and um, being able to prioritize and do things themselves and also make sure that you deliver on the overall strategy that you are connected with all the other teams and. Uh, I don't think I've figured out the very good way to solve this yet, but I think like trying to have kind of like both end approach and uh, so time to split, uh, but then at the same time that uh, makes it hard to have a very clear focus for the team. So yeah, I think it's really challenging. To do. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's uh, interesting to think like maybe that um, like I feel like some uh, some we have very high standards for like roles these days, and it's like. People expect that to be a product manager means to be kind of like a CEO or something like that. And it's like, you know what, if you're early on or mid in your career, like it's not bad leading a team of engineers shipping features quickly. Like that's great experience. It's super interesting work. Um, okay, maybe you aren't, you know, doing vision setting, but like that's fine. Like you don't need to be doing that. And I think like separating out like like you know kind of setting good expectations with teams i like that like smaller scope idea like you know being realistic about what teams can actually deliver and what like like you can draw bigger and smaller um lines around ownership depending on like the size of the company or the team or etc yeah yeah i i think i think linking back to this uh, customer uh, uh linkage that also i think to to your question about the prioritization piece and so on, it's very important that the team is owning that. So if you need something from that team or if you have dependencies, it's very important that you sell it to them, right? Instead of, you know, as a manager or someone, you know, maybe you're a founder of the company or something, you know, you, you, it's, it's quite hard for a team when they get an order, even if they feel like it's not something they agree with. Uh, but if you sell it to them or you give, give them a problem to solve, I think that's that's also giving more of the right culture or the accountability at the end. Maybe you don't get the feature you asked for, but hopefully you get something that is even better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I totally agree. And I also feel like the teams that are sitting closest to the end customers often like knows the customers the best mm -hmm. and are, are therefore able to solve those problems. And yeah, yeah, I think that's like something I I forgot that I wanted to bring up was this idea of like putting, uh, you know, putting requirements on a on a product manager is usually a a bad use of their skills 
Yeah. And all you know, always try and even if you think you know the answer, uh, challenge yourself to erase that uh, predisposition and and hand them a problem. Um, and if they arrive at the same solution, you did great. You know, you got lucky. Um, but odds are, you know, they'll find something better. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, yeah it's a good one. Fantastic. Um, Kurt, we'll come to you next, if that's okay. Sure. Um, actually, I think it's uh, linked to the things we've been talking about so far, because um, starting here in Taliyam during a pandemic, uh, and also still now, uh, we have a lot of team members in the different um, product teams that are, are working remotely and um, are not co-located here in the office necessarily. Um, I would like to hear your perspectives of how, on how you can create that great team culture, uh, which I think is fundamental in order to deliver uh, a good customer experience and, and also good uh, solutions to the to the problems that we we're just discussing. So do you have any thoughts? And a, a quick one. So the question is about when people are co-located or in the COVID setup or you know, when you work remotely. Yeah. yeah so for me, we actually did a, a, a reorg during COVID, which was a little bit interesting. Like it wasn't optimal, but at the same time we had to do it. Uh, and I think the way we handled that uh, was to, I mean, then it's even more important to, to keep the daily meetings and be very close across levels or work with the teams and understand their uh, challenges and pain. What is like, more, more, more of everything, right? And then, of course, it's it's super hard because at the same time, people might feel lonely and you cannot really have the same re relational closeness or whiteboard closeness. So you need to be very uh, creative. I think the other one, so that's the, the number one, like super much communication, which is not natural sometimes for developers, I know, but but <laughs> it's something that had to be done. And also the other one is related to, um, um, to, to kind of the... Um, uh, the, the challenges that everyone has in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the um, uh, the linkage to, to the vision, it needs to also be even more clear that uh, almost uh, sent uh, on a daily basis, you know, to get to make it stick. So it's it's kind of everything is more complex. But I, at the same time, I think the benefits of, of, of this digital lay is that if you have co-located teams like I had, for example, in into sites, they get naturally closer in the digital space. Uh, so it's easier to bridge cultural uh, gaps and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love this uh, question because uh, because many talk about uh, how do we build culture when we're not close to each other, etc. But in my perspective, I don't believe that culture is connected to location. It's a mentality of the team and how we, uh, how, how we structure that accessibility that you were talking about, David. Where, where we need as a leader to create accessibility to the team, but also between the team members and different teams that are talking to each other and have different uh, alignments that they need to, to do. Uh, and that's the hard part, the communication, but the, look, uh, but the culture should sit in the mentality of what we're trying to achieve and, um, and how we build, again, that ownership that we were discussing. So the communication is key here to, to build a, a good work environment, but it's not key to build a culture. Yeah, I think it's great perspectives because um, what I feel is that, like you said, um, different team members may not have the same need for themselves. Uh, to be present in the office or um, feel that they get that much out of it. But then you have all these other people that rely on them and would actually get a lot out of them being in the office. 
and for me it's hard to find like the balance on hey, how much should i um try to force people to come to the office um if they feel yeah. that they do a better job being uh, located at home and and and, and there i think the uh, again the accessibility how do we create accessibility uh with not a location uh where where people come and go we need to create other type of forums where we can have that accessibility between each other um yeah I totally yeah agree that it could be solved uh, without being like in a physical space together so yeah great input mm. Yeah, I'm still missing the killer app for this, I must say, right? Because at the end, you miss the coffee conversations. You miss this, uh, let's say, the spontaneous gatherings that you get in a, in a normal context. And we experience, we have experience with different things. Like, for example, you, the first five to 10 minutes in a meeting, you talk about just random stuff. But some people zoom out and get bored by that, right? And then you can try some other things where you try to ping people and some people feel stressed about that. So how do you, this thing that is, coming naturally in, in an office where you have the same physical space, you, you can read people, you can understand that this person is busy, this is more approachable, uh, but but I'm missing the killer app for this. So maybe this is something you can do here in, in your teams for me, it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think two things really like strike me immediately about this. One is um, you need to be very clear on if you're sort of co-located or remote first. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a team that's like 80% co-located and 20% remote, it's going to be super awkward and people are always going to get like, you're going to have people on the outside who are going to get left out of conversations. People are going to forget to dial into meetings and someone's going to be sitting there on the outside or they'll have a beer after work and, you know, the not local, you know, so I think it's very important to like set clear bound, like however you work, whether it's remote first or not. It, that just needs to be like clearly delineated. Mm. Um, and then the, the other reflection was like, if you do remote first, which personally, I think I, I agree with you. Um, I also miss the spontaneity. I, th I think there's pros and cons, like you lose the spontaneity, but you gain more deep focus. And, you know, that's good for some people and bad for others. And those are trade-offs each team can make. Um, but for teams that do decide to go remote first, I think like, Maybe this is obvious, but like nothing, I feel like COVID taught me this, like nothing can replace having dinner with a group of people. Like there's no. just no amount of like Zoom afterworks or something or like, you know, you know, morning check-ins can replace just like after shipping a bunch of stuff and working really hard together, just sitting down and talking face to face. And like, I don't know, that's just like a must have for any team. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one thing to pick on that, on that if you are, remote for us or at least if you have this mix nothing is worse than having a meeting room of people that is kind of remote in the in that small let's say thumb that you have in the video call and then you have some people with kind of big avatars or like like we sit here uh, you know where you can see some people closely and others more at distance and then this meeting room starts to walk you know talk and in automation right without involving the digital group right that's the worst that's really the worst it's a tough one to to kind of create that accessibility a hundred percent if you if you're remote and i i i understand your where you're coming from when you say that you kind of miss that dinner and laughing with your friends and have that different types of conversation and discuss other things than just work that you do uh 
but yep. that's not a hundred percent what you build the culture on either because we still need that mentality of ownership and and the drive when it comes to uh, to work but but uh, i i totally agree with uh, all of you i feel like yeah maybe slightly unrelated to this specific question but like this uh like talking about not work like you know in the kind of this quote great resignation or whatever people are, i don't know if they're still calling it that but like um <laughs> it strikes me that like people stay for the people you know yeah. like that's really what it comes down to um so everything i that building those outside of work relationships like if if you to me it's like the cost of bringing a remote first team together for mm -hmm. an offsite is always worth it yeah like obviously there's boundaries to that like okay like <laughs> maybe don't fly everyone to dubai like once a week but um um you know within reasonable boundaries oh, always a good cost always a good investment yeah people leave people not companies they're 100 percent true totally i really appreciate you on your on this because i think it's uh hard to find that balance but uh yeah i totally agree with um what you said so thank you Fantastic. So to finish the podcast off today, Josephine, we'll come to you. Perfect. So uh, for me, as I mentioned before, great culture is when we enable both product and development teams to feel like they're part of a journey and have their ownership of uh, the outcome of what we're trying to achieve. Uh, of course, we have a business strategy and vision of, uh, uh, to, to align that with, but uh, of course, uh, I've said it before, uh, I'm in a smaller company where we are at the moment scaling up. So, so my question to you guys is how do we keep that commitment and feeling of engagement and ownership and, and drive and still not lose that focus and productiveness uh, over the overall product strategy that we have. So it's been aligned with what we've discussed so far, but love to hear your thoughts about it. I uh, I think, uh, I mean, sounds like a cop-out answer, um, but I think this is a question that gets raised a lot. For me, it's like beyond giving people equity, I feel like everything else is kind of window dressing. Like if you want people to work as hard as they do in a startup at a big company, like they need to have actual ownership. Like no amount of balloons or free breakfast is gonna, you know, replace that. Um, of course, culture matters, and of course, like that's a way to reflect a business that you want to work at and build a product that you believe in. But if you wanna, if you wanna keep that, like, you know, the founding team super hardworking, super driven, super focused at scale, um, I think beyond running the risk of creating like a, a toxic super aggressive work environment the solution <laughs> is to, to 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 buy to get people to buy into the vision yeah. and buy into yeah. the company i'm happy to add to that so i think you can of course do incentive plans differently right but i think i read actually this morning and it's a good analogy so you cannot you know a farmer doesn't really make make the plants or, or seed kind of a because he wants to be in the in the nature i mean they they want to harvest and they want to be part of the ecosystem and you know it, it comes back to that that you know people want to be part of the success and kind of be of course benefit from that so i think uh, what is important is the way you put up the incentives and make sure that they are connected to the real soul right of the company or the product or or the vision and there are many ways to do that and and the other one that the thing i would like to add to is also the the 
value of dog fooding. If you have a product that, that teams can use, they should use it, then you need to incentivize that and make sure that is rewarded, right, in parts of the system, because that's where you drive also the, the next level of engagement with, with the team. But I fully agree. I mean, if you don't connect it to, to, to some incentives, then it would be hard to, to get the natural motivation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I have that much to add to that. I've been working in large companies all my life. Um, but I think also maybe uh, giving um, them the power to influence and be part of the decision making process can also be um, an incentive and motivate people to work hard, I would say. Mm. Um, yeah, in large companies, usually you have also how you promote people and you know, making sure that you promote in a way that kind of tells the rest of the team how that, you know, behavior is the good one or the right one, but also how that links to the vision and how that person or team has been kind of working towards that vision. So that drives also the good behaviors and the right team culture and, and the winner mindset. So I think that that's usually what you do in larger companies. Yeah, of, of course, I, I understand that the uh, accountability and the commitment will all, when we grow, will will sort of go down a little bit for, for the ones in the lines outside the inner circle who, who's been a, a part of it from, from the start. But, uh, but uh, how, what, what I'm trying to like understand is like, how do you build a foundation? So you still feel that, business value and, and and you can relate to what we're trying to do because that also gives an ownership and accountability to what we're trying to do and uh, when we can um, oh. continually uh, get people to feel that uh, drive that uh, big companies sometimes can lose because you're oh. you're too way too far off from from uh, where the business is at uh, yeah. But that's where the corporate, you know, corporate soul comes in, right? Yeah. I mean, Apple is a good example of that. We think differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft has this enable people to do more. Uh, if you link it to that, then you know that am I'm, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm doing right now, is that actually helping the company towards that goal or mm-hmm. am I going the other way? And I think mm-hmm. the, the closer you can be to those uh, visions, that's that's also where you can help the team to excel. So uh, I, I'm a strong believer in those and, and they need to stick and sometimes they are a little bit uh, silly, right? But uh, I think it's good because then they stick. Uh, and, and of course, it's very important that the company doesn't miss if they have achieved the goal that they yeah. move move along, right? Of course. <laughs> so again, Apple is a good example of that because it's timeless, right? Thinking yeah. differently, you can do that in, in all times, in all different type of market segments or product segments. Perfect, thank you. Culture is such a, I feel like, uh, not feel like I'm an expert, I feel like people talk about it. it's such an important part of scaling a startup, um, if not the most important. And I feel like, no matter what you do, as you scale, the culture is going to reflect how the core team has worked up until that point. Mm-hmm. So even if you do nothing, like the, you will still have a culture, right? So I think if your if you're, if, if your priority is um, is building a good culture that reflects the values that are important to you, sounds very generic, but like I feel mm-hmm. like it's worth prioritizing like the culture itself. What are the principles? What do you believe in? How do you work? Why do you work that way? Putting it in a document, making it in, you know, doing onboarding in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, taking that extra couple of days before you put someone on a project and, you know, really like walking them through why they're here, what you're building, what is your DNA, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Thank you for input. Yeah, thank you. I also think in the startup that it's very important that 
you need to evolve, right? So this core team that is this small, maybe core team in from the beginning was in one startup where we were going quite quick in the, we actually changed logo type and changed uh, actually slogans and stuff like that. Yeah. And it felt really awkward when we did it, but I think in retrospect, that was energizing because all the newcomers that had joined, uh, you know, actually got, you got the better buy-in to the new common vision, right, for them. And, uh, but of course that needs, then you need to keep these, you know, original members or the founders involved. So you, yeah. you have them energized as well. But at least that was really, really powerful. Yeah, because we are at the state now where we are scaling uh, in a very rapid time. We launched four different new markets this year and we can see more to come. So, uh, so it's really good to hear your thoughts about it. And uh, yeah. Thank you. I think it's important to also be very clear in the communication of the overall strategy to the teams and make sure that they um, actually can see how their delivering outcomes uh, is contrib contributing to the overall strategy. So uh, at least I spend a lot of time on that on our teams um, because they in large organizations, there can be like a disconnect from the from the top uh, management strategy and it can be hard for the team members to see how they are actually contributing to that. So I think it's important to, to actually visualize the team efforts and outputs uh, and how that contributes to the company's overall. Nice. Fantastic guys. Uh, really enjoyed that one. So we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Josephine, Kurt, Joel and David for providing their insights into the topic. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mycheck at evolution-nordics.com and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.